0: into Proverbs. Um, Father, we just saw these announcements that we lift up. We just thank you that we have things to announce, things that we're we're busy doing here. And we pray those things glorify you. Just we lift up the women's ministry and uh, just how they minister to so many women and how active they are and and, uh, what an important ministry that is. And we just pray for your blessing on that and for the retreat coming up. We pray that everybody that you want to go will be there and will be touched by your spirit, Lord. Um, Lord, we pray for the other mission, uh, the other ministries in our fellowship as well. The men's ministry, the all those who serve every week. The you know, as I've been just up here and just again made aware of what the AV department goes through and the security team and and what a blessing they are to us. And we just pray for them and thank you for them and. Uh, God, we just pray that these efforts wouldn't be just for us, but they would be for a lost world and that they would contribute to your kingdom, Lord, and you would be glorified through these things. Um, God, I just pray that we would be a fellowship that's known by our love for you and our love for one another. Finally, Lord, we pray for this message tonight as we go through your word and um, we just pray for your spirit. We pray for discernment. We pray for understanding and And help me to deliver your word in the way that you want it delivered. I give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight we're going to be in chapter 5. I really wanted to cover more ground than that, but man, there is a lot in there. And this is a difficult chapter to teach, and it was a difficult chapter to, to, to just study through. It's a chapter in Proverbs that's dealing exclusively with adultery. And it's not a pleasant topic. Um, But it's a topic that God wants us to focus on. God wants us to know about, to be warned about. And at the heart of adultery is the issue of faithfulness. Faithfulness to our spouse, for sure. That's the context of this entire chapter. But also faithfulness to ourselves and our calling. And most importantly, faithfulness to God who saved us. Our faithful father. He's called our husband and our bridegroom who is faithful in our unfaithfulness. So last week we st- we talked just I like to do a quick review kind of where we came in last week and we're going to see this constant theme all the time of this narrow path, right? Like Jesus said that narrow and difficult way and we were talking about that, but what keeps us what sustains us on that path? The food that we eat, the word of God, the body and the blood of our savior Jesus Christ. We talked about giving God our first fruits. A word that I had extreme difficulty saying last week over and over again. But the unlimited returns, both in this life and in the life to come, of giving God our best, of giving God the first, of, of there's no better investment than that. We talked about the discipline of God and what that means and, and how it brings us closer to Him and the image of His Son, and that it's painful the pain of persecution, the pain of self-denial, of rejection, oftentimes. But it's intended to train us in his will and is really one of the truest signs of, of us being a child of God, of knowing that we're in the family, as you, if you would. That if we're experiencing those things in the world, that it's a great sign that, that, not that God's angry with us, but actually that God loves us and just wants to train us in his will to be his children to resemble him in this lost world now i was listening to the the study on sunday and i was kind of conv- i was i was convicted that i hadn't really touched on this as much because proverbs can be the kind of book we did well let me back up we started some ground rules and we said i said <laughs> i think it was important for all of us to remember that we can't really interpret the book of proverbs apart from the gospel apart from the revealed person and teachings of Jesus Christ. We can't take them out on their own and try to make a doctrine out of them. That's not what they're intended to be like. But the one thing that I haven't really emphasized, I don't think, is that, guys, without God's Spirit, we cannot keep the commandments of God. It is a spiritual thing. We can't do this in our flesh. And I, and as, as Sean's been teaching through Galatians, you know, I was really wanted to make sure that we understand that because Proverbs can be kind of a defeating book because it puts this standard out there and we're all going to fail in some way or another at some point, but just to remember that it's God's Spirit that does give us the power to choose. And I think that's the most important thing we have as Christians is God's Spirit, we're not, we're not enslaved to our sin anymore. We have a choice that God's Spirit gives us to choose to have victory over those things as opposed to, like we'll see, being led into all kinds of areas of temptation and defeat. So, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God. Um, To make, when we do that, it makes the sacrifice of Jesus worthless. That was something that was really brought out on Sunday, too. To exchange the freedom of grace for the chains of legalism. And I really want to make sure we're not getting that impression as we read through this, because Solomon's going to say over and over again, my son, keep my commandments, don't forget my teaching, do these things. And then when we fail, we, we, we're not, you know, we fall in some way, you know, it's very, it can be very defeating, but to understand that God's spirit is the, is the way that we're able to do that. Solomon himself fell because I think in large part, he didn't have access to the Holy Spirit in the same way that we do today. So let's read, uh, start in Proverbs chapter 5, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil." But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. I want to say right up front, too, this, this passage is going to seem to be pretty hard on this woman that we're going to read about. The same could be said of men. Solomon could have said, my daughter. This isn't, exclusive, this isn't a gender-exclusive thing, so I hope we just get that clear. But I do, as we, we want to keep take the word as it says, and he's describing this woman. The Father admonishes us, first and foremost, right, to attend to his wisdom, to hear, to hear. Hearing in a way that we treasure and guard what he says, to hear and to do. Matthew 7, 25, says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. He would go on to say... The one who doesn't do that is what? A man that built his house on on the sand, and it didn't have a foundation. And when these same trials came, the house fell, and he says, Great was the fall of it. The rains of trial, the floods of temptation, the winds of persecution cannot move us when we abide in him who is always faithful. Again, in his spirit, not in our own strength. We're told one of the main reasons to listen to God is that in so doing, we have discretion. And that's an interesting word. It says, that you may keep discretion. There's a couple, you know, discretion has a couple meanings in our English language. It's often used, though, in, as it pertains to being to making a decision, like I said, right, to having a choice. We've heard that term, discretionary spending. Does anybody know, heard that? That's kind of an economic term. It means that after you've paid all the bills you have to pay, your taxes, your utilities, all that other stuff, you've got some little bit of cash left over and you can do what you want with it, right? That's discretionary spending. That's what he's saying here. If we have wisdom, we have a choice what to do with that. It's essentially a tool to make those kind of godly decisions as opposed to being led unwittingly to destruction. And this is what we talked about from the first week about wisdom being, one way to interpret that is like a strategy in warfare, to have skill in warfare. So it's like having a plan, a strategy to win against temptation. And then he goes on, and this is, this is an interesting contrast because he talks about the child of God's lips, and he talks about the lips of this forbidden, or another way to um, translate that is a foreign woman. And for us, he says that your lips may guard knowledge. And to guard is to both keep something in and to keep something out, right? If you live in a bad neighborhood, you've got bars on your window. That's not to keep you in, hopefully. That's to keep people from coming in. But also, we guard, we do do that. That's what our whole prison system here locally is about, right? Keeping people in so it can go both ways, but to guard knowledge. And I really was, like, thinking about this, and my wife was reading this this amazing book, and and she kind of, uh, we were talking about this, and she was, this lady brings out the fact that in Hebrew, this, this idea of our mouth, our speech, is like a threshold between our heart, between God's spirit, and the world. And it, it's through those things that we kind of manifest God's spirit oftentimes to the world around us. And, and um, you know, Jesus confirms that when he says it's out of our heart, and I've quoted this before, that, that we speak. It's the, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And then he goes on to say in that same passage, it's not what goes into us, speaking of a legalistic, like, dietary plan, but it's what comes out of us that defile us. And he goes on to list all these things. So things that come in, but things that go out are what defile us. And then there's this interesting verse in Malachi 2.7, and it says, it uses the same same terminology. Again, that's Malachi 2.7. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge. And people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. And Malachi is, is going to Israel and saying that because they weren't doing that. They were speaking things that weren't from God. When we take we take down our defenses, essentially, when we allow the world's ideology to dilute the truth of the gospel, right? That's one of the ways that we may not guard knowledge, is allowing things to mix with God's word that should be, like we talked about, engraved on our heart. And I think that we can be tempted to compromise with the world, you know, to be liked and to be accepted, but we're also told in 1 John that to be a friend of the world is to be God's enemy. And so just trying to round out that idea, I think it's... Um, really comes down to pride. comes down to, do we know better than God? Are we going to let God's word speak for itself? Or are we going to try to add to it or take away from it in order to fit in with a world that doesn't want to hear it? And I think that's one of the ways we're not guarding knowledge. I think that's, what, I think that's the idea that's being kind of brought out here. Now, in contrast to that, how we're um, being admonished, we have this... Again, this woman, and we're told that her speech is sweet as honey and smooth as oil. And I love, again, Solomon just uses these incredible word pictures that really just give us this impression of something sweet, something soothing. But then we have this proverb in Proverbs 27.6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. It's often those words that taste really good, that inflate our ego, that are the most dangerous. No one come up to me and tell me this was a good study. I don't want to hear it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just walk out of here. No. Just. But King David, in writing about one of his betrayers, he also says in Psalm 55, 12, his speech, speaking of his betrayer, he says his speech was smooth as butter yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. It's that same kind of language. Saying that his words, they seemed good up front, but they were deadly. They were a precursor to war. They were setting him up for war. I was telling somebody recently, I I read the, the, um, The Art of War pretty often, probably at least once a year just to see, just to remind myself of how the world deals with their, their issues. Not so I can employ those ideas, but so I know how I'm being affected. And the very first thing is, war is deception. War is deception. If you're weak, let your enemy think you're strong. If you're strong, let your enemy think you're weak. It's all about just those head games, and we see that in politics, right? And that's what this betrayer is doing to King David, and he recognized it much later. But it's, it's hard for us, we can't go through life suspicious, but rather discerning what we're hearing coincides with God's word and what we know to be true. Does that make sense? I think it makes sense. It's, so, you know, I do have a problem with that. Like I said, I've been in business for a, a long time in this community, and it's easy to become um, cynical. If you want to put it nicely, because, you know, most people, they don't um, have any problem using whatever weakness you may have to their advantage. And we don't want to, we don't need to worry about that. That's the thing I have to keep coming back to. We all have to keep coming back to. That's not for us to worry about. It's for God to worry about. David, even in his betrayal, God blessed him. God took care of all his enemies, and he'll do that for us too. So I'm certainly not advocating going around like being suspicious, but again, are the things that we're hearing from the world, the things that we may live our lives by, are they going? do they line up with God's word and what we know to be true in his word? And then he goes on and He gives these, again, these very vivid descriptions of what is the end of these smooth words, these sweet words. It says that she is bitter as wormwood. Wormwood, (laughs) here, this is my word this week. Last week it was first fruits. (laughs) This week it's wormwood. Let me get some water here. But it's used throughout Scripture to denote extreme bitterness. The prophets Jeremiah and Amos both make reference to wormwood as the epitome of bitterness of soul and anguish of spirit. There is a star named Wormwood in Revelation which falls to the earth and poisons a third of all the earth's rivers and springs and makes them fatal to drink. It's this extremely bitter herb. Wormwood is a real herb. It's used to make a liquor called absinthe. Does that ring a bell with anybody? This is a, was real popular back in the you know, 1800s. It was banned for a while. It's kind of back, but it was banned because wormwood is in absinthe and it has a, um, um, a property that makes it very addictive, very harmful and has really psychoactive properties. It's pretty dangerous stuff. The wormwood, what it is, is I don't even know how to pronounce it, but it, anyway, it's a, it's, it's a chemical within wormwood that can cause seizures, hallucinations and even death in large enough doses. Now, that's, what, that's the idea. See, Solomon is so great at, at just mixing these contrasts because that's what we're looking at, the end of those sweet words. Honey and oil. We think of honey as sweet and nourishing. We think of oil, presumably olive oil, again, something soothing, healthy, useful, profitable. And what we see here is while these things may begin sweet, pal- palatable, stroke our ego, and maybe even seemingly innocent, the end is deceptive, intolerable, and potentially fatal. The next description, he says, is sharp as a two-edged sword. Sharp as a two-edged sword. And I'm sure some of you are like, I've heard that before. I've heard that description. In Hebrews, it's used to describe the Word of God. Every other use of that term is positive. In this instance, it's negative. The verse in Hebrews 4 goes like this, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So we see the Word of God operates with surgical precision, exposing our inner selves and allowing us to see ourselves in His light. But it's intended for healing and restoration not destruction. Now we see this counterfeit sword that promises fulfillment and pleasure, but is actually a deadly weapon. And it's just like the serpent promised Eve in the garden. But instead of performing surgery, instead of healing us and teaching us, this two-edged sword hacks and cleaves our lives into bloody fragments. And we see this woman now kind of representative of a type of Eve, but not being deceived, she's the one doing the deceiving and and vengefully wielding this sword and slaying her victims. It's this really graphic image, isn't it? Just as God's word serves to expose our hearts and motives for a positive result, these flattering, deceitful words serve to discern where where we are spiritually for a negative result. Again, when we hear flattery, and we like it, and we buy into it, what does that say about where we're at in our pride and in our selfishness? We have to be really careful about that. Because what it'll cost us is the loss of everything. The loss of our honor, our joy, and peace. And if we don't have a, a defense, we'll fall for these lies every time. And the defense, again, what we're pointed back to is not forgetting God's teaching, God's wisdom, God's spirit, God's word. And finally, her path leads to hell and death. And I don't think that needs a whole lot of explanation. Sheol is a place that's represented in the Bible as a place of separation from God, a place of darkness and anguish. And that's where those steps lead. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. This is a great translation from the New Living Translation because, again, it's really vivid. kind of gives us, it says, she cares nothing about the path to life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't realize it. And you can just picture kind of this staggering. Now, it doesn't look like that on its surface. Again, this is a spiritually discerned thing. She could be walking down a runway in New York City. You know what I mean? But her steps go down to death. My wife and I recently visited Boulder, Colorado. And I thought it was a beautiful town. Believe it or not, after living here all these, t- all these years, I'd never been to Boulder. And I was, I was shocked because I thought it was this liberal hellhole. That, you know, and, and, it pro- and it is maybe spiritual. I don't know. But, I mean, I was really as clean. It was, but there was a few people staggering around that I wasn't going to follow anywhere. Let me tell you that. And we see them around here in town, too. If we could have those spiritual eyes and see, that's what's going on. But it doesn't look like that until we look at it with spiritual eyes. If we can see it that way, we're not tempted to follow that, right? Well, let's jump into the next section, 7 down to 14. Um, And I'll just read. And now, O sons, listen to me. And do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Yes, strangers, lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan, when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. And now we see consequences. The first thing is is a description, a warning, and now we see these consequences. And how often we realize the full extent of our sin when it's too late. No one expects to ruin themselves when they start an affair, right? That's not why people, that's not why people engage in these things. That's not why people are, are unfaithful. They're trying to improve themselves. They're trying to, to fulfill themselves. But here we see the consequences And guys, we don't need to look too far. I would would venture to say that every single person in this room, myself included, has in some way, shape, or form been affected by this sin. Again, no one expects this end. They don't expect ruin when it starts. But sin is treacherous and unpredictable. But be assured, these consequences, the consequences, will cost more than you were willing to pay worse than you could have ever imagined. It does not strike bargains, make compromises, or stop when you've had enough. We're told it's merciless and consuming. Guys, the only mercy that we are able to attain to is God's mercy. There's no mercy in this world. It's merciless and consuming, and it will take you to places that you've never wanted to go and will strand you there with no way out. It will take everything you ever cherished and leave an indelible stain on your life. And that's just so, so heavy, isn't it? I mean, to understand, and and our culture just wants to normalize this, but we still, we hear the stories, we see the ruin, we see the people in therapy, we see all the effects of it, but then we're told that it's okay. We're told that it's normal, it's not okay. And this guy realizes it, at the end, when it's too late, when he doesn't have you know, the option to go back and make things right, it's done. And uh, again, we're not talking about eternal salvation here. We're not talking about the ability for God to restore and renew. And again, I, I would venture to say a lot of us in here have experienced that part of God's mercy, that he can make things new and restore those things. But... Cost is always going to be greater than we're willing to pay. Now, so we see the consequences, but now we see how great God's plan can be when we love him and we love our spouse and we are faithful. This is a contrast to those terrible, merciless, consuming consequences, and now we see God's beautiful plan and the rewards therein. So in 15 through 23, we'll read, He says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman, and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly he is led astray. It's a hard passage to read, too, because it gets very intimate, and it can be very, but, you know, it's God's Word, and we're trying to work through that. So this speaks, though, of this really beautiful, ex- exclusive, and intimate relationship, a relationship that is refreshing and valuable and even life-saving. You know, water in Israel is an extremely valuable commodity, and where there's no water, life is not possible. I think we can relate to that in our community here. We we have a very arid climate. We know you know it finally rained the other day, and all if you go to the store, everybody, it rained. It's such a great, it's like a great day that it rained. And it was like this in this culture too, where it's such a blessing. And that's what God's kind of likening our, our relationship to. Something again, refreshing, life giving, and valuable. To waste water, when we talk about this thing of of springs being scattered abroad and streams of water in the streets, it speaks of wastefulness. And when we waste water, we're going to stunt any chance of growth we may have. And once it's spilled, once it's dispersed, it's gone, it's polluted. This word intoxicated is also translated led astray. And I thought that was really interesting, intoxicated. Some of your Bibles may have a different word for that, but it's one of the translations is led astray. Led astray in the sense of being made captive. And I think in this we're given a choice, right? Because it's, it's used in, in both, you know, should you be intoxicated with a forbidden woman or should you be intoxicated with the wife of your youth? Led astray. We're given a choice to be led astray, again, in the love of our spouse to be captivated by their love or to be ensnared in sin with this forbidden woman. We're given a choice. Led astray from the dangers of promiscuity, of disease and heartbreak, and into the loving confines of a covenantal marriage. Led astray from the world, so treacherous in its promises, into the strong, loving arms of our Savior. Or again, to be led astray, ensnared, held fast in the cords of our sin, a tragedy of our own regretful making. And this, this, this last passage is really encouraging. I love this passage where it says, The eyes, no, excuse me, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Let me read that again. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders some of his paths. All his paths. That he's always watching us. He's always taking care of us. And to those that are in sin, that are in disobedience to God, that's kind of a terrifying idea, isn't it? That God's always watching us. He's always watching what we're doing. He's watching our motives. He's watching how we treat other people. But to the righteous, and righteous only in the blood of Christ, righteous meaning that we have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, this is nothing but reassuring and encouraging. There's a great verse in Second Chronicles 16.9. He says, For the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. The Lord desires our loyalty and faithfulness not to restrict us Not to control us, but rather to support and bless us. The Lord sees. The Lord sees when we're hurting. The Lord sees when we're in a fight with our spouse and we're not feeling all that stuff that it just said in here. To rejoice in the wife of our youth, in the husband of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. And maybe we're not seeing them in that light at that moment. God sees, God understands. And if we take that to God, it'll change our perspective. When we see someone in this world actually loves us. One of the the things that I've told my grandkids, that I've told my sons, like that is truly the rarest thing in my life. That is the rarest and most precious commodity in all the world is to have someone that actually loves you despite all your faults, all your you know, everything they know about you. And that's why this is focusing so much on adultery. It's not even focusing on other kinds of sexual sin. It's focusing on breaking that covenant with the person that knows you, that loves you, that sacrifices you, because that's how God's heart is towards us. He made us. He loves us. He knows us so intimately, and there's nothing that can separate us from his love so that when we cheat on him with the world, that's why it's so deadly to our spirit. And to our walk. And I think we're all on the same page on that. We've all been hurt. We've all been hurt in some way. But who's been more hurt than our Lord? Who gave every single part of himself to save us. Who was mocked on that very same day when he was giving his life up for our sake. So, he knows what that feels like. And he is that faithful high priest. So just a quick review. The Holy Spirit. And again, I know that was such a, that's such a heavy topic. And again, if there was any way I could not preach that section of Scripture, I would. But we're going through, as is our custom, verse by verse. And again, we do that not because, not because we have some compulsion or some legalistic thing. It's because God wants us to hear that. That's why it's there. So again, a quick review. The Holy Spirit. To remember... And keep these instructions, to follow God's commandments on our own is impossible. But with him, all things are are possible. Jesus said in John 14, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance, remembrance all that I have said to you. To be doers and hearers. To be hearers and doers, that's what I'm trying to say. What we hear we need to treasure and guard so that it's available when we face trials. Sweetness may end in bitterness, and what seems smooth and easy may lead to destruction. What looks attractive and promises fulfillment will end in ruin when it's opposed to God's truth. No matter what book it's written in, no matter what counselor on TV is telling you, It will not bring you fulfillment and happiness if it contradicts God's Word. No matter how sweet it seems, no matter how easy it seems and rational it seems, don't fall for it. And this intoxication, it's okay to be madly in love with our spouses, to be drunk with commitment and just smashed in their presence. We need to be under the influence of His Spirit and over the legal limit when it comes to grace and love for our Savior, as well as the ones closest to us. Over the legal limit. In any case, so Father, I thank you for this, for this evening. Thank you for getting us through that passage. And truly, Lord, let us take it to heart and to live in a, in a way that is, that is faithful for your faithful. And Lord, we can't always be faithful because we're human. And I pray, Lord, fill us with your Spirit. Teach us by your Spirit. Lead us, I pray. And Lord, we thank you for this great fellowship, and I thank you for everybody here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.